309th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that joined the caravan to protest the completion of emptying your wallet. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? This week, we've got four amazing segments. We're going to start off with our top movers. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to start off with our uh, Week in Review with some of the metagame stuff going on in Magic Online. Then we're going to walk you through the cards with the biggest gains. We're also going to talk a little bit about the uh, online gainers as well. Then you and I are going to talk about the best places to put some of our dollars, including a uh, reader pick, listener pick, Discord member pick. That's the word we want. That really pro is trader, so, A pro trader pick. Pro trader pick is even better. Uh, that really embarrasses both of us with how brilliant it is. Should have thought of that sooner. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the previews that we're getting. Uh, they're coming uh, quick and many of them. And some of them are ridiculously cool. And if there aren't some obvious crossovers done soon, I may have to start writing mean emails. All right, so we can jump right on in here with segment one, our uh, Magic Online metagame week in review. And I figure we'll take a look at the Modern Challenge from January 30th and then the Legacy Showcase Challenge from January 30th, uh, a rare look at Legacy to see uh, a couple things. A, how things are doing post the Ragavan ban, uh, and B, whether there might be some overlap between cards that are uh, showing up in quantity in Legacy and stuff that always show, that also shows up in Modern and in EDH, because though we largely believe that EDH drives the, the train uh, at this point for MTG Finance, Modern still does some pretty heavy lifting as well, and Legacy has the capability, um, along with Vintage, to boost especially the most expensive versions of multi-format staples. So, we'll take a look here at the Modern Challenge from January 30th, uh, this past weekend. We are recording a day earlier than normal. This is a Monday night, January 31st, as opposed to February 1st, our usual recording time. Uh, so, the Modern Challenge this weekend was taken down by Jeskai Control. Uh, the red being mostly for Fire and Ice, the fire side of Fire and Ice, if I'm not mistaken. And then three Ragavan out of the board. So the whole deal here is they go ahead and take out their creature removal against you and you slide in Ragavans in game two and then they spot the Ragavans and then they've got to make a awkward choice as to whether they're going to dedicate, uh, pull the kill back in for the Ragavans, which could end up really wrecking them in game three if you side the Ragavans back out. And even if they leave them in and you leave the Ragavans in, then they might you know, how many copies do they put in for your three Ragavans? Because <laughs> if they put three to six copies in, 
they're probably at a disadvantage anyway. I mean, you don't always you don't get the fun of uh, sideboarding online the same way you do in paper, where you shuffle in your entire sideboard and then you take out fifteen cards, you know, so that they have no idea what you're doing. Right. But uh, I love transformational sideboards, and I especially love just transformational enough sideboards. Because if you if you get that Ragavan going, it's it's just game over. The funny thing is, is that Ragavan doesn't really transform the deck so much as it is. Ragavan is so good, if you drop it early especially, that it almost doesn't matter what shell you're playing it in. If it connects a couple times, generates some treasure tokens, and potentially helps you cast one of your opponent's cards, you're going to be uh, in pretty good shape. So the rest of this top eight included Hammer Time in second, the new iteration of Jund in third, Dredge in fourth, uh, a somewhat fringe deck for most of 2021, but uh, has showed up a couple times in the top eight recently. Blue-Red Murktide in fifth, Oops All Spells running two Charbelcher. There's definitely some... Uh, integration and overlap or overlapping Venn diagrams of what previously would have been thought of as two different lists. Um, seems like this is all coming together. They're also running Sword of the Meek with... It's it's just a freebie for the uh, Narc Amoebas, I think. I don't... Oh, yeah, 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 because they, they don't have the other half of the combo. There's no right. Opter Founder in here. But it's also a freebie for uh, Salvage Titan. Gotcha. I know. I was I was thinking about that too. I'm like, what would it hurt to put uh, a foundry in here, right? And the answer is, it hurt a whole bunch. They don't want to do that. They just want to have uh, three free artifacts after they've milled a whole bunch, and all it takes is one Narcomiba trigger, and here we go. Yeah, uh, worth flagging every time we see this deck that there's like 19, 18 to twenty one mythic DFCs from Zendikar Rising. So if Paper came back with a Vengeance, and even 1.1 to 2% of modern players were hoisting this deck at your local gaming centers. Those mythic lands that are already very popular in EDH would be under some significant pressure. Uh, we got Hammer Time again in 7th here with a fairly standard configuration uh, except for the Black Splash uh, for Thoughtseize largely. And then for Bitter Blossoms, Dark Confidants, and a Nihil Spellbomb. Uh, out of the sideboard uh, so I guess that's white black hammer time on the on the sheet here and then Grix's shadow in eighth in a fairly standard configuration now moving on over to the legacy showcase challenge it was taken down by death and taxes uh, notables in there include for solitude for Aethervile, for caracas for wasteland uh, very classic components Looking for some newer cards, we've got a three Skyclave Apparition out of ZNR. We've got a Timeless Dragon out of MH2, a largely forgotten rare from that set. But the number of cards, I've said it many times, out of Modern Rises 2 that have top aided in Modern or Legacy or Vintage is quite the list. Uh, we've also got Caldra Complete, also from MH2 and uh, are regularly seeing play in Stoneforge-based decks in Modern, also showing up here, because, of course, this deck also runs for Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, all in all, pretty standard D&T with some upgrades. Blue-Red Delver was in 2nd and in 5th and in 7th here. Uh, despite not having access to Ragavan, Merktide Regent, and Expressive Iteration, turns out, are still pretty good alongside all the rest of the stuff. 
like Days and Bolt and and Delver and what have you. Um, we've also got in third and fourth, probably the most interesting decks of late that have generated motion on some singles uh, and also informed some of my selections today. The Narset's uh, Narset's Undoing is what I'm calling this deck for lack of a better name. Having That's a good name. To I approve highly of the name. Haven't heard that spoken by any of the legacy players, but to me that seems like a natural fit. Uh, we've got a pretty much mono blue version. Blue white, I guess. They've got Fort Teferi Time Raveler. Um, the deck is three Narset Parter Avails, four Teferi Time Raveler, three Hall Breacher, two Snapcaster Mage, three Days Undoing, which of course, as we flagged last week, is a big time combo with Narset Parter Avails. Because uh, you draw seven and they do nothing. Four Ponder, four Prismatic, sorry, three Prismatic Ending, four Brainstorm, a Flusterstorm, two Force of Negation, four Force of Will, and four Swords to Plowshares, a Dress Down, and two Shark Typhoon. So Dress Down and Shark Typhoon uh, showing up in Legacy, certainly fairly interesting. And then the fifth place deck, or fourth place deck, was the Bant version of this, where they uh, knocked out, I guess it was the Day's Undoing, where they went from three to one. And the Hull Breachers went from three to two. And then they found room in the main for... And they, I guess the Narcissus and the Deferis were also lower at two copies apiece. And that makes room for two Endurance in the main, two, three Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath in the main, and a Carpet of Flowers, and two Sylvan Library. So the, the deal here is... is that, you know, control decks are not a new thing. In legacy, but for a long time, you saw miracles, kind of occupying this this slot in the meta, and here we have a, a much more kind of classic draw control strategy, right? Well, not just draw, but uh, a package with I'm going to draw and you're going to cry. Well, I'm going to draw a lot and you're going to draw nothing. Right. Essentially, I'm going to feast on your tears, sort of draw. Mm-hmm. And then that Bant Narciss Undoing was also in sixth. So it was three of the top eight this week, which will lead into the discussion of my picks later. Uh, we said three Blue Red Delvers in second, fifth, and seventh, and then Reanimator in eighth, featuring Archon of Cruelty out of MH2, Gristlebrand, four copies of that, four in Tomb, a card that's on the move, and two Grief, um, also an MH2 card. Yeah, uh, this is... I don't know how healthy it is that uh, all the legacy players are going for value or uh, pure unfairness as uh, six of the top eight here, but when you tell me legacy, I am going to think of unfair combos and ridiculousness and uh, giving up on things because they've got my every move locked down. So that sounds about right. I mean, you've got the aggro deck in the Delver package, aggro control, and then you have death and taxes. You have the control deck, the Narsa control decks that have kind of one big combo going on, um, if they can pull it together, and the rest of it is fairly classic control. And then we've got a reanimator shell here. Very pretty much absent is the more kind of out there combos that don't really look like regular magic. But I guess we'll see how that evolves as as Legacy continues to test fresh ground without Ragavan present. 
Moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. We've got Days Undoing, which was flagged last week as being up a few bucks, continuing the march up as it continued to show up in the Legacy Showcase. Days Undoing from or Magic Origins now almost $10, up from 7 last week and 3 or 4 before that. Uh, so up about 35%. Meltdown caught gains in both paper and on Magic Online. Uh, that's not a foil because there's no foils from that set. Uh, going from 6 to 9 or so, 42-43% gains on the back of a Legacy Meta Shift predicted where Urza Saga was supposed to be good in, in Legacy. I didn't see a lot of Saga in these lists, though, uh, unless I missed something. Was no, not saga? this week. No. Oh, no, that's not true. The The Death and Taxes deck was running four copies. That oh. was the first place deck. You got to be prepared for uh, one of the best cards this way. So the deal is that Meltdown lets you get rid of all the Construct tokens for one mana, right? Correct, uh, because they have a casting cost of zero, uh, and it's X green, destroy everything with casting cost. I'm sorry, I said X green, it's X red. Uh, destroy everything with casting cost, every artifact with X or less. So if it's zero, then you're going to destroy all the Constructs for zero and undo a whole lot of their work. So that was Meltdown's deal, and Tomb showed up as part of the reanimator uh, package in a couple of different legacy challenges lately. Odyssey copies going from 46 to 65, uh, 41% gains, and it was second place in the challenge this weekend in that reanimator deck. Uh, in, sorry, one of the other, the challenge on the, I guess maybe the day before the legacy showcase challenge. So it was one of the other challenges this weekend where it was second. Uh, Kusari Gama out of Champions of Kamigawa went from 9 to 13. That is a $4 gain, 44%. On Neo Equipment Hype, as far, far as I can see, I'm not convinced that this card is going to be that big of a deal, and I would expect it to retrace um, after the hype cycle passes, but I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is also a... Um, we're talking the non-foils here, and this is a, a strong contender for uh, things that might get reprinted sometime soon, because... If you're going to give us a set with equipment, you'd also want to give us uh, some kind of way to answer that. This seems like an excellent candidate for a soon-to-come secret layer. Possibly. I mean, to me, this just doesn't seem like that important of a card. It's not, <laughs> but it's neat. Carpet of Flowers, the secret layer version, uh, non-foils, 28 to 40. Uh, secret layer drain continues to be quite real. I called the foils on episode 305. Uh, that call was to go 35 to 60. I think they're already at about 44. So we're marching up that, that ladder and uh, the non-foils on the move as well. Racto Signet was one of my calls last week. Uh, that call was to go 11 to 22. It went 12 to 18, largely on the back of being called out, I would imagine. So in the case of something like this, where you know we or others make a call that is public and people latch onto it and think it's cool, um, that it's going to work out, so they pick up some copies either for their collection or specs, watch out for a retrace, right? Right. Um, often, if, if the fundamentals of the pick are solid, then it was always going to get there anyway. But it can be short-term accelerated and then retrace and then later peak again. Um, at some fresh plateau as the, you know, if people's eyes turn away from it, some copies will funnel back into the market and 
you know, you might get a chance to, you know, if, if we're saying the price of this is 18 right now, maybe you're going to see $14 copies again in a few weeks, and then it'll slowly start marching up that ladder again. So just something to keep in mind. We've also got Dance of the Mance. Uh, if you like to have a dance in your pants, I guess. With well, we can dance if you want to. Yeah. Any other bad <laughs> puns we can come up with. Dance of the Mance has been a card that I think people were pretty excited about given the themes of throne of eldraine but never really got there uh i think there might have been a standard deck built around it at one point it was a doom foretold deck uh it was a lot of fun to play gotcha uh return up to x target artifact and or non-aura enchantment cards each with converted mana cost x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield if x is six or more those permanents are four four creatures in addition to their other types so it being non-aura is not super synergistic with what we've seen going on with Kamigawa so far. Right, but uh, if you're talking about a blue-white artifacts deck and artifacts and vehicles deck, you're going to get back all your cool vehicles that people who don't understand how cool the vehicles are that they destroyed out of a lack of understanding. And now you get to get them back, and in some cases, they'll all be creatures already, so all their neat things are ready to go. So looking at the current inventory of the foil extended arts of this card, we are down to just nine listings. And keep in mind that this is the first foil extended art set that was Throne of Eldraine. Um, and so you still have a few copies under 10 bucks. They're probably going to get to 20 uh, It's just It's just a reasonable card in a bunch of different shells, whether or not you believe in the, the blue-white deck, which almost could very easily have a copy of this card in non-foil in the deck. We haven't seen the deck list yet. It's in 8,500 reported decks on EDH rec, which is 4% of all blue-white decks. Not bad. Not amazing. Um, I wouldn't want to be super deep on these, but I could see an opportunity to flip a small handful pretty easily. Yeah, if you have some, get ready to flip them in the 20 range. And if you can find them cheap someplace, if your local store doesn't like to update their prices every week, you might be able to squeeze in a few copies under 10. I'm sure Europe still has copies under that price point as well. Uh, now, there's a trio of cards in here that are representative of what's going on with Innistrad Double Feature, which released to very little fanfare this week. Tovalar, Dire Overlord, going from $3.25, uh, $3.25, $3 quarter, I guess, to $5.5. Um, 70% gains. There was also Morbid Opportunist, a fairly po- uh, popular uncommon um, from one of the Innistrad sets this fall, going $1.50 to $3.50, and Cemetery Desecrator, one of the decent mythics for zombies, going 2 to 10 And I'm flagging this because, I guess that was the foil version of Cemetery Desecrator. What happened here is that no one is very pleased with this set. So a lot less of it was ordered by vendors and cracked by vendors and thereby... Um, posted as fresh singles inventory to TCG player this weekend. So the posted inventory was quite shallow. And that rang bells for people. You know, we had kind of alluded to this uh, earlier on this cast a few weeks back about how if if you have a set like this where nobody seems to want the set and nobody's willing to pay the price for the boxes, because keep in mind these boxes are uh, almost $200 retail, yeah, these are more expensive boxes than a regular standard stat. Despite the, they're not ending up being anything that's a major draw to it. I kept thinking that there was going to be some big reveal, like there was going to be numbered cards in here, or there was going to be some treatment that we would all really like. Turns out that silver sulfide, 
thing just kind of goes the black and white silver toned thing that re- you know refers to 1950s monster movies that doesn't really seem like it's going to land with the target audience these days and sure enough nobody seems very impressed um with the treatments now what that means though is that there's very little of the inventory floating around so it turns into a supply side play where people have been pushing chips in on these cards all weekend hoping that they're going to get a chance to just you know maybe buy list them to card kingdom if card kingdom doesn't or some other buy list where they won't want a lot of them but they might be pretty hard to find a year or two down the road and they might buy list very well if you get in at a, a reasonable entry point not because there's huge demand for the card, but because there's very little supply. Yeah, and it's, you know, a way that, that looks different. Like, they don't have, um, you know, foil extended art going on. But it's basically almost all the same art just put into the black and white, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and so, so it's it's up to you. Like, I've been looking for a, a, a shiny silver necro duality for my zombie deck. And... Uh, I hadn't seen one for anything approaching a reasonable price so far on TCG, although I haven't looked today. Um, but that's what's going on. We're just not getting copies because nobody's opening them. And if nobody's opening them, well, then there's going to be uh, a, a lot of demand left over. But the, there is a tricky process here because the way this cycle can end up is no one opens singles. So singles prices rise because there's no su- supply to fight against the even if it's minimal demand. Speculators keep pushing chips in because they see how little supply there is, which pushes the EV up for cracking the boxes. Meanwhile, a bunch of the sealed product is sitting around in pallets, and Wizards ends up burning some of it. But some of it's at distributor level, and the distributors want to clear it out. And whichever ones work with the gaming company and their brethren running likewise cracking operations with low margin, high volume on TCG player, end up getting their hands on a bunch of very cheap product and then crack and post a ton of singles inventory, which overwhelms the relatively minimal latent demand, which crashes the singles prices. Yeah. I mean, right now we're in the part where nobody bought it, nobody opened it, so nobody's selling it. Um, You know, I've, I've checked on... Um, Necro Duality as the Mythic and Headless Rider as the Rare and even Arch Cool 3 have been an Uncommon and there is not a single foil of any of these available. So um, that's where we're at and whether we stay there. Like I'm not willing to to go to crazy prices on these things but uh, I did uh, plan on getting the the these particular versions for my zombie deck and i'm i'm interested to see where the whole thing ends up like if there are pallets of it someplace well there definitely are i mean one of the things to look at is how card kingdom how bullish card kingdom is on the buy list currently during the first week of release the answer is not very so for something like cemetery desecrator they offer just 25 cents for copies of that mythic from crimson vow uh, and they're offering exactly the same for foil versions of that mythic, which are significantly more rare from Dibble Feature. Wow. Now they are offering 36 cents on the non-foil <laughs> versions from Double Feature. But if we go over and look at Necro Duality, for instance, they're offering 1650 cash, 2145, 
for Necroduality Foil Extended Arts from Crimson Bow, which came from the Collector Boosters. But they're only offering uh, $12.15.6 in credit for the Foil Necrodualities from Double Feature. So doesn't seem like they're super excited about them. But we'll we'll see how this plays out. So far, I've I've stayed out of this entirely. Um, there is definitely some upside there, but I also feel like there's so many more, much more obvious opportunities lying around right now that have been discussed in the Discord, on this cast, and elsewhere. That I don't need to be trying to get creative with this stuff at the moment. Right. That's that's what I would say too. If you uh, happen to be logged into TCG Player and see the brick pop up at a reasonable price, I might go on that. But like you said, there's going to be so many other places to put our money that won't be exposed to this up and down cycle that it's probably for the best well and most of the good like one of the ways people have been trying to cover their ass is going after the cards they know are good anyway that's why you see things like morbid opportunists showing showing up on this list or um, um the the wrath that gets cheaper the name is sure. me vanquish the horde i think that's the one uh, but the reality is you can just could have just bought a bunch of morbid opportunists when they were cheap a couple months ago and covered and covered that angle and and then walked away and wait for that to do whatever it's going to do um i don't see any i i'm not a firm believer in that the supply side play is going to come to fruition in the way that people hope it will it totally could but as i said there there are counter cycles that can come into play um on stuff like this and i'm happy to just sit on the sidelines and watch what happens for now um while we while i pick off secret layer foils that are in short supply that i know are going to be a double up um all right moving along we've got uh saskia the unyielding speaking of secret layer foils going 13 to 28 and that's exactly the kind of thing i'm talking about um medium popular commander card uh came out i think for women's day secret layer if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and has already quadded i think from its low so that seems pretty solid. We got rat catcher foils out of dissension going from five dollars to eighteen. That's a all the rats being present in Neon Dynasty has people picking up rat specs. We've got Weatherlight from Dominaria being a vehicle, uh, a mythic foil vehicle. They went from 5 to 20 for 300% gains as a solid, pretty solid Katori foil that I think we referenced last week. When I was talking about my Smuggler's Copter pick, I mentioned the Weatherlight and a couple of other vehicles that seemed like they were going to get there. And then finally, we have Consulate Dreadnought as a one casting cost 7 slash 11 vehicle whose foils, even though it's just an uncommon, went from $1.50 to 15 I think if you can get anything from 8 to 15 on those foils, you go ahead and exit on that quick before we find out if Katori is actually a commander anyone's going to care about. Well, it's just it's the, the general principle of when it shows up on a list, then it's gaining, you know, 500% or whatever, you should sell into that hype. Uh, you're unlikely to hold and get $20. Uh, you want to sell when the uh, interest is high and people are building the deck. And before they have a chance to move on to the next legend that shows up that catches their fancy. And this is especially important with something like Consulate Dreadnought, where you have less than 2,000 decks currently running the card on EDH Rec. Those are some hardcore folks who want a one-mana Crew 6 vehicle. From the the other 
small number of vehicle carrying uh, commanders like Tapala. Yeah. And and I guess Magda maybe. Yeah, you just really want and it doesn't have trample, it doesn't have anything. It's so bad. It's just Oh, well, it's a 7-11 for one, so if you can crew it very easily with some of these cards from Neon Dynasty that create pilots that crew for two, even though they're one ones. Yeah, it's uh, going to take you uh, two of those to, to get going. But you could, like, if you play this on turn one, turn two, you do some mana rock or whatever. Turn three, you drop the commander down, and now you can immediately attack for seven. You know, that's great. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's just uh, the fact that it never had trample or any kind of evasion was really just a horrific oversight the thing is it's it's a foil uncommon from a fairly well opened set that had masterpieces in it so there are going to be a bunch of these that come out of the woodwork just from bulk yeah people have got to get into their boxes and say that's 15 dollars. oh let's get rid of that yeah and then the price is going to crash down under 10 preach all right Top Magic Online Movers of the Week, largely related to happenings with the Legacy Showcase Challenge, I think. Shark Typhoon, the extended art promo going from 9.59 ticks to 13.2. That's 38% gains from the Jeskai Control deck, uh, winning the challenge in Modern. And then Shark Typhoon also showing up in the top eight lists for the Legacy Challenge. Uh, Meltdown from Urza Saga going from 22.86 to 36. I know some of our pro traders made some pretty good money on that from Oko Assassin's recommendations in our Magic Online finance channel. Uh, so well done there. Uh, Anti-Saga Legacy Tech again was the deal there for 58% gains. Court of Cunning out of Commander Legends from about a year ago, 16 ticks to almost 28 ticks, 73% gains. Uh, Blue Red Delver in Legacy plus EDH usage on that one. And then promo copies of Days going from 5.6 ticks to 10 ticks, 80% gains again with Blue Red Delver back on the menu in Legacy, or I guess continuing to be on the menu in Legacy and Days being run as a four of there. It's it's a wonderful list. And if you are not keeping up with uh, Oko Assassin's takes on uh, Magic Online, you are missing out on some real value. You can just that channel alone if you're involved in Magic Online, can justify your pro trader fees for the year. Absolutely. It's just just gravy that's sitting there if you happen to have the time and interest in that side of things. Um, All right, so my first selection this week under segment three, cards to watch. Uh, James, we usually have a little uh, moment in between segments two and three. Oh, that's right. We do have a new call out for our wonderful sponsors. Let me get to that. Now is likely a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. Probably also worth flagging that with uh, Star City Games dismantling a lot of the content stream that would have justified having the premium subscription over there and having not relaunched uh, the new version that they said is forthcoming. Uh, the Cool Stuff program looks better and better. They've got tons of good content over there, including episodes of this podcast and uh, stuff from Jason Alt and all sorts of other commander and competitive uh, themed folks. And uh, you get the the extra benefit of the 15% off singles is nothing to trifle with when they've already got pretty solid pricing to begin with. Yeah, anytime you can get that kind of discount, you're maximizing your margins. Alrighty, so back to cards to watch. My first selection of the week is Drown in the Lock, and I'm talking about the Secret Lair Mystical Archive version from last 
spring, early summer, I guess, and probably was delivered early fall, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we're down to just 18 listings of this card, and turns out it is in 22,000 EDH rec decks uh, since being released originally in Throne of Eldraine, so that's in a couple of years. Uh, it's also a strong modern card that shows up in a bunch of blue-black mid-range and control strategies in the format, and we're down to just 18 listings starting at 20 bucks, no major walls, and no forthcoming additional inventory. Seem... And, and by the way, fantastic art on this card. Uh, yeah, fantastic art. For a second I was worried it was Seven Kinnon art, but it's not, so <laughs> you're in the clear. We'll have to be doing that check for things going forward. No, this is this is a slam dunk. Um, I forgot, actually, that this was a supplementary Mystical Archive card, and uh, it's got the chops in multiple formats. You know, you see a lot of copies of it in Modern, in Assorted Control Lists, and uh, in Commander, it's definitely going to be a winner. So counter it or kill it and do what you need to do to that annoying spell or creature. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. It's a good call. All right, your first selection of the week. Uh, I, I know you're not going to approve of this, but hear me out. You say it's good that it's in 22,000 commander decks. Brother, let me recommend to you a card that is in 200,000 commander decks. A full 20%, one in five commander decks that gets built, puts in a copy of Terramorphic Expanse. And you might say, now, what are you talking about that's been printed 500 times? It's true. It has a lot of printings. But only one is the full-text secret lair included version. And right now, you can get that for just $2.50. There's a lot of copies online. I'm not. You're going to look it up, and you're going to say, oh, my God, why are you recommending this card with a billion copies for sale? But the velocity is there. It's moving 5 to 10 copies a day. And people are buying them in 3s and 4s. And now is your chance to get in on these that are by far the cheapest cards in that particular secret lair. And they've done a lot of different versions of lands. And I will not be shocked when they give us island in great big, you know, like um, puffy gangster um, graffiti letters instead of like this full text version. But right now this Terramorphic Expanse with full text and is good for the laughs. It can be had so cheap, and I'm thinking it's going to go from 250 It's going to more than double up to around the $8 range within the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. So I was um, I told people when I did my analysis of this Secret Layer drop that these seemed like a winner to me. They were going to be very unique, meme-oriented lands. Um, so far, there's a lot of inventory. Now, that doesn't mean that the cards don't sell. They actually do, as you, as you pointed out, sell at a, a reasonable clip. But so many people believed, as I did, that these lands would do well over time, that there is tons of inventory. And so I think that this is a classic example of a pick where you want to... This is probably correct, but you want to wait the longest possible moment before you snap up the stuff. So if you see somebody start picking off these really big walls, like the lowest wall is MTG Rares with 247 copies at $1.69 a piece. Solid entry, but if you can get the same entry in six months, you'd rather wait and do it then. Um, 
And I don't know whether it's going to be 6, 12, 18, or 24 plus on this particular one, which is why I haven't called them out yet. I have 10 sets of these in foil and non-foil sitting around the house. Um, I expect I've put them on the shelf that I don't look at for very often. So that says speaks volumes about how quickly I think that we're going to be able to turn them around. Um, I don't think this is going to take off like the Phyrexian Praetors drop did pretty much right away. It's going to be a long haul. So I like the pick. I would suggest we put a little, use the little yellow spot color to flag a choose your entry wisely. Uh, okay. I, I think that's a, a new thing and you're bringing up a new thing that we haven't done before, but I'm for it. Oh, we've but... done it. You, oh, have you we? Just have, okay. You just haven't done it on cast. All right. Well, Travis and I have fooled around with it a bit based on criticisms from folks that other. said that it would be sometimes we're early on stuff and it would be nice if we flagged that something is clearly a pick, but this may not be the moment to grab it. Well, I agree with you that once the walls start moving, it's going to move. And uh, I saw the wall of 250 copies and I said, you know, that's uh, that's an indicator that hasn't gotten there yet, but. I can't argue with the number of copies that are getting sold at the at the rate they're going. That wall's going to last a couple of months. And once that wall's gone, then it's time to start looking. So maybe you're right. Maybe you're right that we need to wait a little longer. Uh, I do really like uh, your next pick, by the way. It's kind of two versions of the same card. Uh, officially, the pick is for the stained glass version of Nar- Narset Parter Avails that came as a promo with the secret layers and no longer does. Uh, you can pick those up around $72 right now. I think within a year they're going to go to $130, so that's 80% gains for targeting. But you could also, if you're feeling uh, frisky or you're just willing to spend money on something that's going to be a gainer, um, the Japanese foil extended art Narset, of which I was lucky enough to open two, I think, from War Boxes, has seven copies listed right now on TCG Player. They range from 500 to 630, a fairly narrow range, which means these people would love to unload them. Um, if we look over at Haryuya, let's take a look and see what they are currently selling their Narsets at. I'm willing to bet it is above this number and might be as high as $1,000. Let's just take a look. Yeah, so let me just sort the price to make sure I've got my facts straight here. Keep in mind that Harry Yuya differentiates between the Series 1 Japanese animated Planeswalkers that primarily came out of Made in Japan war boxes from the first wave of release and versions that were later produced in uh, U.S.-produced war boxes that were glossier. The foiling on the best version uh, is uh, on one, the, text bo- the text box foiling is different too, right? It's subtler. The whole thing right. is much more subtle foiling, um, whereas the U.S.-produced ones look a lot like secret layer foils, like fairly glossy foil. Um, so anyway, they have the, they're sold out of Series 1 Narset at about 1300 us they are have one copy in stock 
of pre-release Narset at about 650 US. They are sold out of full gloss Narsets that are not pre-release. And they had those at about 652. I'm willing to bet the next time they post those, they're gonna be eight or nine hundred. I think you grab one of these Narsets now close to five, somewhere between five and five fifty, and then sit on it for a bit and look at it again, and it's gonna be a thousand dollar card. It's a big time card in Legacy, it's a, and more so now than it was before. It's a big time card in Vintage, Cube, and EDH. You have the EDH backing at some massive number I, I picked up. It's uh, 51,000 decks on EDH Rec since it was released in May of 2019. So doing very well indeed heading into its almost third year. And that's never going to change. They will print this card again, but it will never be this version. And even if they did print this exact art, the series like series one slash series two would trump by a lot. Same way, same as, as what happened with the Judge Foil, Phyrexian, Elish Norn. Um, so yeah, I, I think the stained glass is your <laughs> your mid-tier entry point on this and if you're feeling more frisky as i said i'm i'm very close to snapping off a couple of these 500 dollars copies i mean it's good to have uh multiple like you have multiple copies at multiple prices and that means you can um choose the level you feel comfortable getting in at you know if you're not ready to take the plunge on the alternate art foils you know you got your secret layer versions that you could go for uh, the non-foil Japanese copies are Japanese alternate art copies are also like uh, something we saw with Liliana, the 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 um, the Dreadhorde general. We've seen her uh, really take a jump on the 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 non-foil prices. So this is totally solid. Like whichever version you feel comfortable going in on, more attention via legacy is a good thing. Um, but also like the the prevalence of the card in Commander. You know, it's an unfriendly commander card, but when you got all three people at the table going like, oh, we are going to punish you for this, then uh, it gets more manageable. Whereas in one-on-one, -on -one, you're just a lot more uh, in an unfortunate circumstance. The stained glass foil narcissists are moving like once every two or three days kind of thing. And the Japanese alt-art foil narcissists are more of a once a week, once every few weeks kind of thing, just because of their price point. Um, but once these get absorbed into collections and legacy decks and what have you, they're never coming back. So they're going to be a big deal card. I agree with you on that. All right. Your next selection. Uh, next up in terms of, uh, sweet artifacts that do sweet things. Uh, I have chosen cloud key. It was in uh, future site and got a reprint in time spiral remastered. So it took a real dive. It used to be a $30 card and now it's down to seven and uh, you can go for foils of the Time Spiral Remastered if you want. They're only a couple bucks more. It's in nearly 10,000 decks online. And if you're looking to reduce your costs and do great big things, uh, just all the interest in artifacts uh, flagged me on this one because it's just such an enabler. It's better than a mana rock because you'll get two or three mana out of it in the turns where you're, multiple casting, you're casting multiple spells. 
So Times File Remastered, we're talking about the foils or regular? Uh, we're talking about the regular, I believe, was around $7. Or did I get my numbers mixed up? Because that could happen. Regular cop regular copies are relatively deep under four. So I'm assuming you're talking foils here. I'm talking yeah, I was talking foils. And there are uh people selling the near mint foils, you know, for around six, six to seven, or seven bucks. Yeah, six or seven dollars. And this and this these foils have been on a downward curve since release. They started at around eleven or twelve maybe closer to 15, late spring, and they've been down, 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 as uh, many of the Time Spiral Remastered uh, uh, reprints did. And now we're down to 30 listings. Biggest wall is 19 copies from Troll and Toad, and then pretty much no other major walls. So I think you got the right of this. I don't know what the timeline's going to be. What's the, you said 10,000 decks EDH rack? So it's like... Yeah, like 9,500, 10,000. Given how long it's been in existence, not tremendous demand, but it is a, a role player in, in specific decks where they can make good use of it. Um, if you have a lot of artifacts, a lot of creatures, a lot of enchantments, instance, or sorceries, because you get to choose one, this really helps. So if you're looking at, for instance, the blue-white vehicles deck and you're expecting there to be just tons and tons of artifacts in that deck, then Cloud Key uh, could certainly help you. Um, I think I like this. I don't know what the timeline is. You've got 12 months here. I think that's reasonable to go 7 to 15. It could take 3 months less or 6 months more. Um, yeah, looks looks pretty reasonable. Uh, it's certainly more reasonable than my next pick, which is pretty spicy overall, I'll have to say. Because this is a card I told people to buy <laughs> it, when it was like 70. And I think the call was 70 to 120 or 130, which it did indeed achieve for a brief period of time before the rules committee of commander decided this card was too good and banned it talking about hall breacher foil extended arts out of commander legends a card that uh to be crystal clear about my bias here i certainly have eight or ten copies of in stock so to say i don't have a vested interest in the card would be incorrect now keep in mind my inventory is very large and very broad so i could really give a shit but it might be a time to be taking another look at this because it showed up in a whole bunch of these legacy decks alongside Narset. It does not have the EDH demand to back it. So if you got to choose between putting money into Narset, Parter Avails, or Hullbreacher, I think it's an obvious answer that you go after Narset because it has the multi-format support. But Hullbreacher between Vintage Legacy and Cube might be enough. Given that we're down to 32 listings, you can get what was once a $100 plus card this time last year. That's true, right? Yeah, that was about when it, when yeah. it got banned. Um, now for 80% off, so in the low 20s. And the ramp is pretty steep. There are no major walls. There's one person with Strike Zone Online has four copies at 30 bucks, And then it jumps to 35 and then 37 and then 40 and so on and so forth. I think the legacy players are going to chew these up. I think that in a year, this is going to go 23 to 45, and people are going to get caught flat-footed because it was such a disaster when it got banned. Um, I also think it's a card that is relatively immune to reprintings because it's banned in the biggest format. So 
unless they announce an Eternal Masters two or something, I wouldn't sweat this card. I don't even. I don't. I don't think they would bother putting it in uh, a, car, a set for exactly that reason. They're not going to put uh, Commander Band cards in there. There's too many people on the rules committee, and they're too intertwined with uh, Wizards to to do stuff like that. More to, more to the point, I don't think there's anything on the product slate for 2022 where this could possibly catch a reprint. Because when they were making those decisions, they had just banned it. Right. So it's not Double Masters 2. I'd stake, stake my, my reputation on that. And it's not going to be in a secret layer. <laughs> because, I mean, maybe if they had a Merfolk-themed secret layer, but there's not really a product this year that looks like that would make a lot of sense. Uh, it would be okay there because if then you're saying it's a ten dollar card, and if it was a a ten dollar hull breacher with nice art, it would actually help sell that secret layer, um, as, as maybe the second or third best card in the group alongside a, a fancy Lord of Atlantis or something. But it's a it's a really fundamentally unfun card that only gets used in unfun ways, and that's a lot of what they said about it when they banned it from Commander, and so. Um, I, I see where you're coming from on this, and I agree with you that, like, I don't think that uh, Cube can move, uh, I don't think there's enough Cubers to really move the needle on any card. Um, if that was true, then the uh, the Brick of Foil Cogwork Librarians I picked up uh, eight years ago would have gone up more than ten cents. Um I I'm glad that you you pre- you said you know clearly you know go for Narset go for uh, other things before this, but I also can't argue with like a slow creep upward. I think you might be a little optimistic on the price, but I I do see where you're coming from that this is a card that was ridiculously expensive has gotten to a very cheap point, you know especially for a, a foil extended art, but it uh. I I might if it got expensive again, you know, you'd see people breaking out uh copies that they threw away in disgust, you know. Uh, did people dump the copies anywhere? Like is there somebody who has picked up all the ones that got sold? Well, here's the other thing. Hallbreacher foil extended arts are 8 17.50 cash, 22.75 credit. So CK backs the play at 23 with very very minimal risk. And if they're bullish, this bullish on it right this second, they're probably not going to be any less bullish on it in a few months. I mean, there's not that much legacy getting played right now. So any sales to legacy players are in anticipation of future play. For the most part, there are states that are foolish enough to be running tournaments. Um, but I, I just think this one's going to creep up on people. And if you're if you're the kind of person that is only going to put you you just want the best thing of the week this ain't it because it's just without the edh support it's automatically inferior um but the if you're a legacy player and you're considering playing the the narsa deck it won't be any cheaper later like go ahead and step off those 23s because you'll play the deck for a while and then realize that your hull breachers went up to 40 and you'll be like hey nice work that sounds about right all right, I've got a bonus selection this week as well. I was a busy boy while we were getting waiting, getting ready for this cast. Uh, how about Entomb Judge Foil promos from Europe at forty bucks? Entomb featured prominently in the Reanimator lists in the Legacy Challenge uh, challenges lately, 
And if we look at the uh, Intune versions, they've all been on the rise. The last time we saw Entomb was in... Eternal Masters, right? Yeah, Eternal Masters. Uh, Ultimate Masters. Oh, yeah. Was after Eternal Masters. But we don't have we don't have a product this year that this seems like a great fit for. It could definitely be in Double Masters too. If it does, you want to be in and out uh, before then probably. But the judge promos of good cards tend to function largely independently of reprints once they get low enough in volume and at one point i know i was picking up judge promo in tombs in europe at about 16 dollars. so i'm telling people to get it at almost triple that but if you look at the tcg inventory on these there are just 10 copies left four listings total they start at 55 they jump to 60 on the next set of four then somebody's got them at 74 copies and then another copy at 70 this is this is a future hundred dollar card because it's just not it's a supply side thing this is an old judge foil there's not going to be many of them left around europe still has some copies closer to 40 than 60 go ahead and snap off a small handful of those and i think you're going to do just fine uh it's because the thing about this is okay cool legacy reanimator but it's also in forty thousand edh rec decks yeah it's it's a really popular commander card and because it's cheap you know and that's uh there's a lot of cards that'll do this but not a lot for one mana. And and keep in mind that the Judge promo is an old border foil. Uh no, it's new border. Um Are you sure? Are you sure um, it's got the it's got the black bubbles on the side? Yeah, but it's got um uh let's see. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at the right one. Uh let me see. Oh no, you're right. You're right it is. Cuz if I compare it to the Odyssey version, it's definitely modern frame. My bad. It's all right. Uh, but it uses the art, the same art, uh, which is not actually my preference. I think the the best art is actually the Amonkhet Invocation, but as with so many of those, um, they you're zoomed out so far, you can't tell, tell what's up. Um, nevertheless, whether it's an old border foil or not, it's a supply side play. They're going to get hollowed out here. Every time I look at Invocations, I'm just like, what card is this? Like they couldn't bold the text up there or something like put it yeah. in a box. I, I've said so many times, the art book of the invocation art would be something to behold. There's quite a lot of good art in here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think that anytime you can pick up an underpriced uh, judge foil, uh, you should do that. Especially if you got the connections across the way, uh, eBay has it for 50 ish. Uh, the TCG price is in the mid 40s, so uh, super solid. And uh, even if it gets reprinted, a Judge Foil is a pretty safe place to be. We have a Pro Trader selection this week. We're going to give it up to Jay Tempkin. Now, this is a little bit of a modified selection because he was suggesting the pack, regular pack foil Whip of Erebos from Theros. Um, but the thing is, those are largely hollowed out. Um, people have already been targeting those and they've been pushed up to 15 or so not a lot of inventory left whereas the so i'm modifying this to the uh lgs promo whip of erebos which has in in temkin's uh mind inferior art but i think it has a better opportunity there's 17 listings left they're double triple handful of copies under 10 bucks 
and these are going to get pushed up just alongside the pack foils because this is a solid neo related spec since that set is is clearly representing artifact and enchantment themes and whip of erebos is both an enchantment and an artifact it's also in 21,000 edh rec decks gives all creatures you control lifelink and that lets you uh return creatures from the graveyard to the battlefield temporarily um for one-time effects and attacks before exiling them at the end of turn yeah um all there's a cycle of these one for each color um, the whip is in 20 odd thousand. The blue one is in 20 odd thousand. Um, you're looking especially for things that are an artifact. There's only five cards in all of Magic that are both an enchantment and an artifact, and these are them. So, uh, uh, Well, yeah, I guess Urza Saga is an enchantment land that makes artifacts, so yes. Correct. It is never both. Yeah. It, it finds you your, your artifacts, too, which is handy. But in terms of like satisfying the new requirement of artifact plus enchantment, I mean they're they're probably they might give us some new ones. We'll see. But uh, these are the the way to go with the uh, the gods of Theros's weapons. And while we've gotten special versions of the gods, we've only gotten you know like the the game store promo versions of things. And uh, Biden had a special version and. I don't think Bo did. I don't think Spear did either, no. So there's, like, random special versions of some of these floating around. But for the most part, these are uh, a super solid pickup, especially in foil. And I'm upset that I didn't think of this, quite frankly. All right. So cards to watch. You're picking your... the you got some money to throw at some cards for your collection or some specs. What are you picking out of this list? Out of this list... Um, I think Narset is probably the safest pick, whether you want to go with the, uh, what's her, what's the non-foils like on the alternate art? M- much deeper since it's just an uncommon. Uh, let's see. Non-foils are about 15 bucks these days. Okay. That's, that's a little lower than I want to go in on. So yeah, I'm with you on the, uh, on the secret layers. I think that's where I'd probably want to. You're saying Garrison Stain Glass is your pick? Yes. I think I'm split between Japanese alt art Narset or Drown in the Lock Secret Layer. Both both seem like relatively uh, locked in opportunities. And I think most of the rest of this is going to be fine too. Yeah, I especially think like if you can get your hands on the enchantment artifacts, the, the god's weapons, quick and be ready to sell them when the uh when the hype gets real then uh, you'll you'll be in a, a great place all right so we can move on to talking more about uh kamigawa and neon dynasty there was a big uh live stream from the folks at watsi last week which was actually fairly well produced they put some uh money into building that set and 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 getting a script together that helped them explain what they were up to and they revealed all sorts of stuff uh, and I guess we'll go through and pick uh, pick some of the the hottest tidbits. Um, this will be stuff that was revealed after we recorded last Tuesday. So from the live stream and then the uh, cards that uh, various Magic content creators have been given to re- to reveal since then. One of the things that jumped out at me was Life of Toshiro Umazawa. This was an enchantment saga for one and a black. Uh, on its first and second go around, you get to basically use Umazawa Jite. 
you get to give target creature plus two plus two to end of turn, or another creature minus one minus one until end of turn, or you gain two life, and then on the third turn it flips over into a two three that gets to tap, pay one life, and add a black that can only be used to cast instants or sorcery spells. Um, this seems like the closest we're going to get to the jit. It's no jit. And not super excited about it, except the art is incredible. And this is a theme throughout this entire set. The art direction <laughs> is some of the best that we have ever seen for Magic. There are a lot of very, very high-quality art pieces that have been revealed already, and I'm sure we're going to see more. Um, in terms of the actual playability of this card, I I think it's most interesting with Lurus, potentially right. in, mo in Modern, where you get to you just use it and then let it die or sack it when it turns into a creature and then get it back with Luris, put it back into play and keep making creatures bigger or smaller or gaining life. There's a lot of really good cards that you can be like fooling around with, um, with Luris. I'm not sure this makes the cut. I suspect it ends up being fringe playable and maybe not even that over an EDH. It's only an uncommon, not a rare or a mythic. So I think overall financial value i'm i'm a pass on this yeah it like you said it's got uh fantastic art uh, i'm a real sucker for like black and white uh ink done right on uh you know good paper uh, i've got a giant print of the eldest reborn on rice paper that uh, jen ravenna did uh, a cycle of and it's like the only piece of magic art i've got hanging up right now so so this particular piece of art i agree the card is pretty underwhelming. I'd be surprised if it made the cut in assorted uh, Luris lists, but it's got potential. It's got some potential there. One of the things we like to do in the Pro Trader Discord is flag quote-unquote bricks, which are cards that might get very cheap and you can buy 20, 50, 100, 200 at a time, sit on for a while, and with very little effort later flip into a buy list like Card Kingdoms or Cool Stuffs for plus 20, 50, 100% gains. Um, kind of thing I usually do, ten or $20,000 worth a year, and I'm always on the lookout for a potential brick. One of the uncommons that jumped out at me for this set is Silver Fur Master. Blue-black for a 2-2 rat ninja. Those are exactly the right things for Yuriko. Uh, ninjutsu, blue-black. Ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate, and then other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So it's a ninja rat lord that makes your ninjutsu cost less, I mean, that's going to be an auto-include in Yuriko from here till forever. So the ninja frame version of this uh, in foil, some point down the road, is going to end up being a spec. The It is more or less limited to one or two decks, maybe three total ninjutsu-related commanders by the time this set is, is fully revealed. Um... So it's more narrow than something like a Morbid Opportunist that was in one of the Innistrad sets this fall and can fit into more or less any black deck that's looking to dump a bunch of creatures in the yard over the course of the game. And it's only an uncommon, so I'm not dying to go super deep on this right up front, but if I see very cheap bricks, either opening weekend or like 6 or 12 months out, I'll certainly be considering picking up one. Um, this is also... Uh... That one's got the um, the promo frame. I I don't know what 
kind of promo. I, th- I think it's the the new F and M versions of things, where it has the Planeswalker symbol at the uh, behind the text box. Uh, there is a promo version of this one to go with the uh, the samurai or the ninja frame. Are they officially calling it the ninja frame? Yes, there's a samurai okay. frame and a ninja frame. So um, you've got a, a couple versions of that one going around. Yeah, you've got uh, 353 and then uh, the 511 version. Normally I would expect promos to really hold a card like this back, and that may well end up being the case here. But because so much fewer, so many fewer people are going to their LGS, I don't know if that means less will be in circulation or it means that more stacks of them will be sold online by LGSs. Well, you're you're still right that the Ninja Frame is, is where you want to be. It's just much cooler art. You know, it's got the the cherry blossom leaves all over the place. Like what else could you really want? Uh, the other, some of the other promos that they um, revealed are uh, fantastic. We're getting promo versions of uh, cards that didn't have a special frame. Uh, the Jukai naturalist and the enthusiastic mechanaut where um, they make either enchantments cost less or artifacts cost less, depending on if you got the green, white two, two lifelink or the, red blue two two flying artifact creature and speaking of bricks i think these will both be excellent plays for that uh preferably in promo frame if you can get it because it just looks much cooler in the the promo foil frame and this is the kind of thing that you know especially because they are enchantments or artifacts they're really going to slot right into the decks with that theme so speaking of obvious versus creative solutions to doing well with magic card specs the big the card with the most hype around it from this set so far is definitely boseju who endures a legendary land that taps for green without any penalty and then has an additional ability uh under the channel keyword one green discard the land destroy target artifact enchantment or non-basic land and opponent controls that player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type put it onto the battlefield then shuffle this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control so you have a basically zero downside utility land that can target artifacts enchantments and non-basic lands which is a whole bunch of the problems <laughs> between urza saga being both a land and an enchantment all the stuff in Hammer Time you want to target. Getting rid of problematic artifacts out of sideboards in various decks like Tron and Prime and Amulet Titan get to use this uh, to get rid of Blood Moons and whatever. Um, this is a card that's going to see a ton of play. Now the point I made in the Pro Trader discard is this is an obviously good and powerful card that will see lots of play. But it's also a rare in a set that's going to get heavily, heavily opened. And that means the pre-order price on this is going to be A, super high, and B, totally wrong. Because <laughs> it's not going to be a four of. It's a legendary land. So most of the modern play it sees, and there will be solid modern play, will probably be akin to something like Shadow Spear. Very good equipment that made its way into a bunch of different modern decks, but is always played as a one of. And so I would track the price of this. I would look at what the lowest Shadow Spear ever got to, which is also heavily played in EDH, as this will be as well, and track this against that. So if Shadow Spear got down to whatever, um, that's probably the kind of thing you can expect from a card like this. And I I bet you people are buying this at like $30 pre-order, and that's just crazy talk. I mean, pre-ordering is wrong in 95% of cases as it is. I just avoid pre-ordering, and I'm okay with 
missing out on the 5% in order to, you know, not overpay for things. Um, so so let me let me finish the case study on Shadow okay. Spear. Shadow Spear got down to about $4.50 in like April of 2020. By June of the of 2021, it was up to nine, and then it jumped between June and September from like ten to twenty. So put that on a roughly eighteen month timeline for a quad. I'm looking to pick up this card between four and eight dollars. I think that four dollars for Basaju is pretty reasonable you know it's not a channel to uh disenchant remember they do get to go find not a basic land but a land with a basic type so they can get a triome they can get a, a shock the dual land yep and they go onto the battlefield not tapped so uh it's it's not free free but it is a way to turn your lands into spells, which is an incredibly powerful thing to do, as demonstrated by the the mythic double face cards. Yeah, you know when you have that ability to have a card that is either a land or a disenchant, even one with a drawback, that is a a powerful thing that you we should be prepared for these to be uh, all relatively popular. Uh, we've seen the red one, which makes the two tokens. Have we seen the other colors yet? We saw the blue one today. It's a bounce spell. Is it really? Yeah, we oh, can man. get in, get into that in a minute. The Boseju has uh, an extended art version with fantastic art. The foil extended arts is a different matter. That's not going to take 18 months to be, get expensive. It's going to start very expensive, then it's going to get depressed over probably about a six-month period. I would guess mid-summer we might see a lull on those as most of the people that need them right up front or think they want them in their collection right up front have snapped them off. And then people have moved on to additional hype cycles. We're deep in the double masters thing and it's a summer lull situation. And then maybe you'll get the cheaper versions of Beseju foil extended art. Now you might also see them crash on opening weekend because this is going to be an extremely heavily open set. The thing going on with Double Feature this week, the opposite will happen with, with Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty. There will be lots and lots of this open because it's looking like a very popular set. Um, and I think foil extended art Basajus are absolutely going to be a spec. It's just a question of picking your right entry point. Um, let's see. Going by what things have been in the past, you don't want to be on their opening weekend. You want to be in there like you want to let the early adopters get their copies and you want to let things settle a little bit and then you want to pick up uh your most it's usually been around two to four weeks if i, I mean, remember there, right there are definitely opening weekend things that can happen where people underestimate something like meat hook massacre was too was probably expensive on pre-order then got pretty cheap in the first week and people that snapped off copies then did very very well right because meat hook massacre was just a rocket ship from there on out yeah like we look at as a mythic again, uh, and this is a card that basically doesn't matter in modern at all. It's basically just an EDH spec. Um, but if you look at September, you had mid, like low to mid twenty, so like twenty to twenty five, and then by Saturday, Sunday, October second, it jumped from twenty five to fifty. 
And it ha- it's come down like $10 For, since then. And I'm referring to the extended art here. Oh, okay. If we, and if we look at the market on foil extended arts, they were... In September, when it wasn't even out yet, they were pre-selling for, again, 20 to 25. By September 25th, it was 35, jumped up to 77 on October 3rd, Sunday. So I think that was opening, if I'm not mistaken, that's opening weekend. Uh, I have to go back and double check. Then drifted down to the mid-60s by November of 2021, and then they've been all upside since to 83. So if you can figure out which mythic is, is Meat Hook Massacre then that's really where you want to be. Um, so we'll see if we can decipher that um, going through here. Um, what else jumped out at me here? Secluded Courtyard's a pretty big deal. Uh, this is a uncommon uh, land where when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. It can tap for colorless mana, colorless mana or one mana of any color, but you can only spend it on creatures of the chosen type or activated abilities of a creature. Uh, a creature or creature card of the chosen type so it is an upgrade cool. over unclaimed territory and uh that's the the main thing it's not just uh, another printing of that card and yeah as uh, a brick and the uh, a good candidate to get reprinted a couple of times going down the line oh yeah for, oh for sure so uh there is going to be some potential here but you know foils are probably where you want to be there might be a promo of this. I can't remember what they said on stream. Um, if there's a promo, then that's probably the target. But if it's a broadly uh, distributed promo, then it's going to take some time. Keep in mind, unclaimed territory foils languish. We're also a pick probably on this cast and elsewhere and languished for quite some time. There is going to be a uh, a, a store promo with the Planeswalker symbol, just like the, uh, the ones I was mentioning earlier. Here's a common... That where the foils might end up being a brick to pick up opening weekend. Spirited Companion is a one and a white for a 1-1 enchantment creature dog. And when Spirited Companion enters the battlefield, draw a card. So in an Enchantress deck, it draws two cards for two mana. Because it's going to draw a card off the Enchantress. That's assuming you just have one in play. If you have a couple of Enchantresses, it could draw three cards for two mana. Or four cards for, for two mana. It's a, it's a dog. It's ultra cute. And this... it's got a promo pack version. What's the promo pack version look like? How cute is it? Uh, it's the same art. It's just in a uh, darker background. Got it. Got it. With the uh, with the symbol on it. So, yeah, I I agree. This says anything with a cute doggy. It's got potential. I I think promo packs definitely worth flagging because they are drag for sure. Um, you, I think the, the, the best bricks are the ones that don't have promo card versions where they don't get a foil extended art. They don't get a fancy ninja or samurai frame. They right. just have regular version and pack foil version. And that's that. If you think about, uh, whatever the black common was from AFR this summer that caught people by surprise, it's the one where you sack a creature, draw two cards and something else happens. Oh, um, something treasure. Uh, no, that's Trash for Treasure. It's it's like one of the top EDH rec cards from that set. Let me just find it. It is... I should know this off the top of my head. I've looked at the card enough times. Uh, Deadly Dispute. The right. Where the basic version of the card is 249 from Cool Stuff and 399 from Card Kingdom. Just for the non-foil common. 
because it draws two cards and creates a treasure token when you sack an artifact or a creature for one and a black. And it's in 15,000 decks since it was printed, which is the most of any card in the set on EDH rec. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Sacrificing is a popular thing to do. And so those foils, Deadly Dispute foils. Now, it was a summer set, which matters very much compared to... It's also a pandemic set, which matters a lot too. Well, so so is Kamigawa, but certainly more things are open now. Uh, Foils of Deadly Dispute topped out at currently at three and a half bucks. So it's actually like the non-foils and the foils are not far off each other. Uh, only separated by about a dollar, but still could be worth if you can find figure out which which of the commons and uncommons uh, might be brickable in said fashion that will benefit you. One of the other cards that jumped out at me is Reality Heist that was re- revealed today. It's basically dig through time for uh, with uh, affinity for artifacts. Five blue blue instant costs one less to cast for each artifact you control you look at the top seven cards of your library you may reveal up to two artifact cards from among them and put them into your hand put the rest in the bottom of your library in in a random order uh this strikes me as something that could get banned in standard especially once we get to the brothers war and we get even more artifacts um and whether or not it is banned there it's probably going to be very good in edh for quite some time uh it's only an uncommon so don't have super high hopes for it, but it seems like a solid EDH role player that'll go on for that'll be played for years and years. Also, like you said, uh, there's no special version of this. There's no neon frame. There's no samurai frame. There's no promo version. There's just going to be this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also revealed Brilliant Restoration, three quad white sorcery. Return all artifact and enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. I mean, how many times can we get uh, an effect like this? I mean, um, but it, it's all white, you know, but w- we've gotten this from, it was three and a white originally for like replenish, right? For the original one, each player does that. And now we get the one-sided version for seven. And, uh, you know, if you're a believer in the three-color uh, Eerie Ultimatum, then you should probably be a believer in this one too. It'll it'll have some legs once we get past the initial uh, the initial rush. Well, replenish wasn't everybody. It was just you and just enchantments. Oh, okay. Th- th- this is all your artifacts and your enchantments, which is which is a broader net uh, for you. I I think this is a solid card. Um, I suspect it's going to get plenty cheap regardless because it's not the kind of thing you're going to see in modern or legacy or anything being a seven casting cost white sorcery. Um, it's like likely to be see very solid numbers. I think it could end up in the top 15 cards of the set on EDH rec, and then foil extended arts might be a thing down the road. You can kind of, I think you're going to have a plenty of time to choose when to get in on it if that ends up being the case. Um, they revealed a mythic saga today, uh, which our Discord was contemplating because often making something that would normally be a rare into a mythic signals that they think this might be a money card for the set. Hidetsuko, Hidetsugu, never said this character's name correctly. Hidetsugu consumes all. One black, red. Enchantment Saga. The first thing this saga does is destroy each non-land permanent with mana value one or less. And honestly, if this is all that card did, 
I think it would still be in the conversation for testing in modern, given what modern looks like right now. Right. Where this would get rid of all your construct tokens from Urza Saga. It can get rid of a variety of one-mana artifacts. And creatures. Including Hammer. It can get rid of Ragavan, Darcy, uh, Death Shadow, Mana Elves, uh, like High Arcs, a bunch of stuff in humans, some merfolk, etc., etc., etc. With such a low-slung format... This could do a lot of work. The, sec- the second turn, it exiles all graveyards. And then on the third turn, it flips into a 3-3 trample ogre shaman enchantment creature that whenever it deals damage, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And whenever it deals damage to a player, if it has dealt 10 or more damage to that player this turn, they lose the game. That's much less likely to come up in modern and would even be a stretch in uh, commander unless you were volt running and doing some tricky stuff. So I think the, the the focus here should be on the first and second turns with this card. And I suspect it ends up being a fringe role player. I don't know what deck is going to want this necessarily, because most of the decks that run these two colors have either graveyards they care about, or they have one cast and cost threats they care about. Right. Uh, so, like, for instance, somebody pointed out in the Discord that this doesn't work well with Croxa because you want you want to have a stocked graveyard so that you can bring Croxa back from it by exiling a bunch of cards, and this precludes that. So, I not seeing an obvious home for it, but it seems like on a power level that could be compatible with modern. That said, I can't see it being a four of. No, it definitely would not be a four of like you could do with. Um engineered explosive sort of a thing or uh or chalice unless there's like a whole new deck around it it could be uh you know if this really does set a you know question of are you willing how all in are you willing to be against the low slung decks are you willing to like rip off the two or three for one when you play this on turn on the the first saga setting so i think there's going to be a week where it shows up a bunch and then there's going to be, you know, a, a, a tapering off. There's Tribute to Hirobi, which is a rare saga. It creates a 1-1 black rat rogue creature token for each opponent on the first and second turns. And then on the third turn, uh, you get a, it flips over and you get a Flying Haste 3-3. You gain control of all those rat tokens. So if you had three opponents, you're getting six rat tokens. And when it attacks, you can sack a creature to draw a card. This is a pretty cute card. I don't think this is going to be a heavy hitter financially or anything, but this will see some play because there's a bunch of ways you can you can make this work in your favor. There are plenty of decks that are based around the concept of let me give you this thing that comes with more of a benefit for me, and this is absolutely one of them. You know, um, you can figure out ways to abuse this. Uh, if you've got stuff like um, Varchild's War Riders in a deck, or you're drawing cards every time somebody has an item that you own, this is this is just great, and you should be really happy with uh, this card, especially just two mana. You know, you're ending up uh, two, so you play it on two, three mana. It flips. So this the flipped side is basically turn four. You're attacking with this three three flyer that draws you a card when you sacrifice one of the leftover rats. Yep. 
seems good. Seems good. Can I talk about Voltron? Are you about to talk about Voltron? No, go for it. We've got Voltron, people. It's official. It's the Mech Titan Core. And if we don't get the secret layer Voltron, uh, or we don't get the secret layer like 80s flashback, you know, where we get the Voltron and we get the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and we get all kinds of other like references, I can, I would understand if you wanted to give me a Gundam reference. I, I respect that. But honestly, looking especially at the, um, the, the neon frame, it's literally Voltron. You are putting Voltron together, you know, form, feet, and legs. Uh, it's two mana for a crew two, and it's a two four if you crew it. I will, you know, pay somebody a dollar every time it actually attacks as a two four. But it's five mana, exile this and four other artifact creatures and or vehicles you control to create the Mech Titan, a legendary 10-10 construct artifact creature token with... Flying, Vigilance, Trample, Lifelink, and Haste, and it's all colors. When that token leaves the battlefield, you return all cards exiled with the core, except the uh, Mech Titan core, to the battlefield tapped under their owner's control. So if they kill Voltron, you don't get to just reform it. Because you lose the Mech Titan core, it stays in exile permanently. But you do get the things that you sacked back. Or, sorry, exiled. Back. Correct. So, like, you got two choices here. Um, you've got, what do I get a bunch of artifact, a bunch of artifacts right off the top with? Uh, Mere Battlesphere was the first one that came to my mind, but there's probably some others that make cheap, cheap little uh, tokens. Or you could play this for just the pure flicker value. You know, you throw this into your um, Brago King Eternal deck and you're exiling Solemn Solmacrum and uh, the one that gains you two life or whatever comes into play effects you want and you can get a lot of uh, fun out of that the art is so much better on the neon frame yeah is it samurai frame on that one i've been calling it the neon frame is it called the samurai frame well this isn't a samurai so it's probably not using the samurai frame it's probably the soft glow the soft glow frame that's what it is yeah yeah the art on that's amazing and so at some point down the road the foils of that are probably worth some money um but this doesn't let you just randomly exile artifacts they have to be artifact creatures or vehicles so it's a little more narrow than being an you know a a high tier artifact deck staple in in edh that said in something like brea where you're creating a lot of thopter tokens this is definitely definitely getting in there um I don't see this as a high priority pickup, but it's certainly a fun card to own, and it's going to get pretty cheap. I'd say the the best saga that I saw revealed today is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Not only is the art incredible uh, on both sides of this card, but this seems like a workhorse, a multi dimensional workhorse for EDH that's going to make its way into a lot of red decks. The first thing the saga does is create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. doesn't have haste or go away at the end of turn. It's just a 2-2 that makes treasure tokens. So it's kind of a like poor man's ragavan. And on the next turn, you discard up to two cards. And if you do draw that many cards, so a flexible looting effect, then it flips and you get a 2-2 reflection of Kiki-Jiki that has one tap create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, except it has haste, sack it, sack it at the beginning of the next end step. 
That's a lot of work for three mana. That is. Uh, it does not, um, you know, you can't combo off because uh, what you transform it into does not have haste. So you have that problem plus the tap for mana. Tap to add, tap tapping it requires mana. My God, that was hard to say. But um, they, they said Kiki Jiki's too good. So we're taking away haste and we're adding a mana to the activation ability and we're giving your opponents two turns to get ready for whatever you're going to do. That said, that Goblin Shaman for, for two and a red, that whenever it attacks you get a treasure, that's already really good. And they're not going to kill. They're not going to kill it to stop your loot, so you're going to get both turns one and two out of this. Probably. So I mean, th this just looks like a, a very strong multi-dimensional utility card that can fit into a whole bunch of decks, and and looks like one of the rares that could see the most play. Um, you were asking about the legendary blue land. That's yeah, Ottawara, Ottawara Heavenly City. Um. It makes blue, like uh, Busseju makes green, no downside. And then channels for three and a blue return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. Ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. That's so probably, ridiculous. Yeah, probably in EDH, it's like a two mana bounce spell a lot of the time. In modern, it's probably more. It's probably three or four. Um, the... Especially with Ragavan gone. Well, Ragavan's not gone in modern. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. It's in yeah. It's in oh Legacy. man. Oh man. But but it doesn't count legendary permanence. It only counts legendary creatures. So in control decks where you might make the best use of this, it's not counting your Teferi Time Raveler and what have you. So right. this is not as exciting as Boseju, but it's going to see play too. Um, well, all of them are really solid. I mean, the other two aren't officially spoiled yet, so. This cycle reminds me of the land cycle from Eldraine, and I think they're probably that. That's the other analog price analog I would look at, um, because Castle Lockthwain, Embrith, uh, Garenbrig, etc., uh, have some of the same vibes. We see what else jumped out at us. Um... I mean, enormous energy blade is just a just a cloud obvious, strife reference. Oh, well, obvious dick joke too. That too. Um, got Sasuke the Living Lore is worth talking about. Green uh. white, one three legendary creature human druid. Put a lore counter on each saga you control. Activate only as a sorcery. It's a tap effect. When Satsuki dies, choose up to one. Return target saga or enchantment creature you control to its owner's hand. Return target saga card from your graveyard to your hand. The problem here is she's only two colors. Right. The more colors they would have given this this potential commander, the more exciting that commander would have become. If she'd been a five color with this, with this set of abilities, then people would have built this deck just to fool around with sagas. Not the least reason of which is sagas tend to have very good art. <laughs> and... You could make a very pretty uh, commander deck with five color sagas. I feel like they now, really missed an opportunity to like put um, like the other three colors as an activated ability to like remove a counter from a saga or add a counter to a saga you control. You know. Now here's the thing: 
what the reason I'm flagging this has nothing to do with the card itself. I'm flagging it because it's yet another example of a, a prominent Japanese artist pro- providing anime art for cards in this set. It is definitely not limited to a small handful of cards. This looks a lot more to me like the Mystical Archive situation where Time Warp and Grape Shot and um, Ephemerate and a few other cards in the Japanese alternate art versions ended up being worth big money in Japan and caught people off guard. And we've been buy-listing said cards ever since from North America over to Japan. I mean, it is beautiful in the uh, glow frame. That's true. There's going to be a bunch of cards in here that aren't great cards that are going to end up worth money in Japan because the art is well-respected. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch as this as this uh, set unfolds. Um, trying to pick out some other stuff here that felt like it might be financially relevant. Uh, Moon Circuit Hacker has potential brick on it maybe for the long term cool anime art in the ninja frame it's an auto include in yuriko because it's a 2-1 ninjutsu for one blue that draws a card with no downside the first time it hits uh and if it stays on the battlefield then you have to discard a card when it when it hits but you're still drawing and then discarding that's just going to be a ninja dex forever forever yeah, uh, there's a lot of really good uh, ninjas to be had in this one. Then they've got the the special text where if you didn't if it didn't interplay this turn, then you know you don't get the same cool effect. But it's it's still really really strong. There's also Nashi, Moon Sage's Scion, which is a one double black rat ninja with ninjutsu three black for three two. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of each player's library. Until end of turn, you may play one of those cards. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its mana value rather than paying its mana cost. <laughs> That's gross. So triple Ragavan the table in a game of Commander. And then no matter what I flip, I don't need mana to cast it. I just pay my life in a 40 life format. Yeah. Seems pretty good to me. Yeah, it's going to be uh, pretty sweet. Uh, I don't think we talked about uh, Tatsunari, the Toad Rider. Nashi's worth flagging because it okay. has an Ink Eyes, Servant of Oni thing going on. It's a it's a mythic. Right. So give this enough time, and this card could be worth some solid money. I agree. I mean, like that ability, uh, that that's the, the kind of thing you want to be doing in these decks anyway. All right. What were you flagging? Uh, Tatsunari, the Toad Rider. That's the um, black black three three. Yeah, it's a two and a black three three. Uh, when you cast an enchantment, if you don't have a creature named uh, Kaimimi, Kaimimi, Kaimi, Kaimi, uh, create Kaimi, a legendary three three black and green frog creature token that has whenever you cast an enchantment spell, each opponent loses one and you gain one. But it's got one hybrid green blue as an ability. Uh, Tatsunari and target frog you control can't be blocked this turn except by flyers or things with reach. So we have a commander for all of Saltai. the different, uh, the Saltai frog stuff. Now there's not, there's only like 33 actual frogs in Magic, but you get to combine all the Gitrog and uh, Gralnok and the blue-green frogs that we got back in Dissension. Like there's some cool stuff that you can do with this, and 
when you see that uh, Yargle has all of a sudden tripled in price in its foil version, you're going to know that's because people are building the frog deck. This could be an underrated commander that moves some cards that Jason ends up writing an article about. Absolutely. The, because this could end up being a frog ninja deck that has a bunch of fun shit it does. It's going it to ha- have ninja, frog, and enchantment sub-themes. And you could could end up playing the cards like maskwood nexus that make all your creatures the same like all creature types and then all all of the synergies like lock in in all directions um i i could see this being under the radar the the card itself the card itself is not going to be worth money for for ages but the there are some cards that might be the top three cards from the tatsunari deck whatever the best versions of the market see some movement well, plus, um, I was also thinking about, first you get, the, the obvious thing is frogs, that's great, but also you get the problem Enchantress decks have where they take this 20-minute turn and they've drawn 3,000 cards and they haven't actually killed anybody yet. Whereas the, the, the enchantment creature frog token gives you that whenever you cast the enchantment, everybody loses one. So you get your your cycle going like where you're casting rancor infinitely or whatever enchantment it is and you just win so there's that too one of the rares that looks like it has the most potential for modern play is and maybe even legacy i'm not sure march of otherworldly light instant speed kill x and a white as an additional cost to cast the spell you may exile any number of white cards from your hand this spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way so you can make it cheaper and cheaper to target bigger and bigger things if you're willing to pitch pitch cards. But if you're not pitching, you exile target artifact creature or enchantment with mana value X or less. That's a broad net. Artifact, creature, or enchantment. So it gets rid of Urza Saga for one white at instant speed. Big deal in modern. Gets rid of all the one casting cost uh, creatures that we said were problematic that the uh, Hidetsku's Saga could potentially sweep away and it doesn't hit planeswalkers so that's a it's it it's dynamic tension with prismatic ending which is at sorcery speed but can hit planeswalkers and depending on uh the mana value versus the color uh colors of the cards in question these cards can get better or worse than each other this also has really good art on it and it's a rare not a not a uncommon I, I could see this being worth very solid money because it's also going to see plenty of play in EDH. I, uh, I'm for that. Um, I'm, I'm waiting to see the rest of this cycle. Uh, the red one lets you exile the top X cards. Uh, you can pitch red cards to make that X higher uh, by two in order to uh, be able to play the top two of your library. So basically you exile this and a red card and you get to play the top two cards of your library if you've got spare red cards laying around uh fun little combo with dominaria version squee who you can play from exile right am i remember i'm remembering squee correctly let's see squee squee you may cast it from your graveyard or from exile so yeah now as a follow-up to my march of otherworldly light discussion definitely worth taking a look at the price history of say something like abrupt decay that many of us thought would be a $20 card and ended up getting to about 450 in May of 2018 
before getting down to $2 by spring of the following year, then getting up to $8 in December of 2019, and slowly drifting down to $4 since then. Yeah, but it's been reprinted multiple times. Mm-hmm. But there's also, what's, what's the other green-black one? Assassin's Trophy. Yeah. That, that everybody thought was going to be a big deal in modern, and it just turned out that giving them a free card was too much. Well, that's why uh, you want to be careful with Boseju, um, you know, the the land version. Although Assassin's Trophy takes up a card slot, Boseju does not. Uh, Think about this, though. It doesn't give them a land-like path and trophy and and doesn't have any other downside other than that targeting really big things is very expensive. I can see March showing up in white decks as a one or a two of in modern and the not too distant future. I, I can't guarantee you it's going to hold, but I also think it's going to be one of the cards with the most, one of the rares with the most solid stats on EDH rec. Um, what else jumps out at me here? We got Kadoma of the West tree as a mythic that I think looks pretty solid for EDH play, uh, especially in counters based decks. Three, three for three reach. Modified creatures you control have trample. That will be equipped, aura enchanted, or creatures with counters, which I think is the most likely use case uh, in the broadest number of decks. And then whenever a modified creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. So if you hit with three creatures with counters on them in Atraxa with this in the deck, you go get a bunch of lands. Seems pretty solid in counter creature counter decks. It's good in counter decks. It's good in enchantment decks. Uh, I don't know how many equipment-themed decks are green, but uh, that'll be a helpful thing there, too. And you just... The combination of giving the trample and finding the land is just everything you want. It's why Sword of the Animist is as expensive as it is. We want all these free extra lands to do all these extra uh, amazing things. I suspect this this one will get pretty cheap. I don't think it's as good as, or as ubiquitous as, say, something like Ancient Green Warden from ZNR. And if we look at the path of that card from a set that was opened about as much as this one is going to be, uh, we can get a pretty good idea where we're probably headed here. Looking at market on Ancient Green Warden, it started almost near 20, drifted down all the way to 10 and has been just sitting at 10 for a while so i definitely don't think this is a card you're going to have to run out and buy early uh i also want to highlight um uh the reality architect uh tamishi tamishi uh who has the whenever uh, a non-creature permanent is returned to hand draw a card this ability triggers once per turn and then x white return a land you control to bounce target artifact, I'm sorry, return target artifact or enchantment with value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Do that only as a sorcery. So it just feeds off of itself really well. And we're going to see a lot of like recursion in, uh, this would be a, a fantastic commander for some ar- blue-white artifact or blue-white enchantment theme. Because you'll just get your artifacts and graveyard and enchantments back from the graveyard with your commander, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that you can always get things back. Yeah, I think Tameshi is is a, one of the more interesting commanders that could be built here. May as well dive in on the Planeswalkers that were revealed last week, but first let's talk about Mirror Box. Three mana for an artifact. The legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control, so it's a strictly better Mirror Gallery already. 
each legendary creature you control gets plus one plus one, and then each non-token creature you control gets plus one plus one for each other creature you control with the same name as that creature. So that last line of text, that applies to the persistent Clone. partitioners. Clones. Clones. Clones works, you're right. Oh, that's really good with clones. That's also really good with uh, necroduality, as I found out. Because uh, if you necroduality a legendary zombie, you're just you don't get the extra copy. So, um, that is really good. But also, like the the combination of abilities work together work together really well. This strikes me as less interesting than something like a panharmonicon. I don't think I want I don't think I want to be bricking this. This is closer to like a Maskwood Nexus type card. Right. So looking at what's happened with Maskwood Nexus, it got started pretty high around four five or six bucks as a rare in Cal time. Got down to about a dollar fifty, at which point it was brickable by February of that year. So in this case that's probably the equivalent of uh neon dynasty rares in early march um got down to about a buck 50 and has since drifted up to five dollars and you can currently buy list them to card kingdom for instance at three dollars and 25 cents to 4.23 so i think that's probably the kind of trajectory you're looking at for this card and it may well be brickable it might. Uh, I'm looking at it on EDH Rec, and the commanders it shows up with are Runor Stromkirk, so you can have uh, you know multiple copies of your giant uh, krakens and stuff. Riku of Two Reflections, um, and this is Mirror Gallery. This is the 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 five mana doesn't do anything else thing. Uh, I think the the really fun combo is with um, Brudaclad, where you can have tokens become copies of tokens. Now, granted, uh, it says non-token copies, but you can still do some uh, some busted things. You got uh, Volo, the guide to monsters, so you can copy the spell and get two versions of that. Now, the ca- counterpoint here is Maskwood Nexus is already in 16,000 decks, and Mirror Gallery only ever got to 1,600. Right. So, so... On, on that basis, I would be watching closely the EDH Rec stats on this card before I, I bricked it. I want to see this in the top 10 cards of the set before I'm going to touch it. And if it looks like it's lagging and being like, if it looks, if it's looking fringe, just leave it alone completely. Well, uh, it's also, no, if you're going to talk about Miller, Mirror Gallery as its price, you know, it was in Betrayers as a rare, but it's $32. Sure, but that was from 20 years ago or whatever with no reprints. I think just about 20 years ago, yeah. Um, is, is it no reprints on Mirror Gallery? Or no just reprints. Yeah. Just that one. All right, so I'm not convinced on Mirror Box, but it's a card to watch. Um, okay. They gave us the rest of the Planeswalkers. We already saw Kato up front a while back as the Ninja Planeswalker, super sweet Japanese alt art by the guy who did Fist of the North Star. Probably that's the Kojima Soren of the set. That's the card that is going to be worth a ton of money in Japan, especially if it comes out of a Japanese-produced set or draft booster box and foil. Um, the other two Planeswalkers are Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh, and the Wandering Emperor. 
Tezzeret is 2 and 2 blue for 4 loyalty planeswalker. Static ability, the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs 2 less to activate. So just off the top of my head, something like... Uh, what's the mana rock? Grim Monolith? Okay. Is it tap, taps for 2, untaps for 3? Um, it taps for 3 and untaps for 4, I believe. Right, so you would tap for 3... And the first one would cost you two, so it would put you up four that turn? Uh, yes. That's not bad. That's not bad. So if you had a bunch of ways to make that work, that gets pretty interesting. Plus one is draw two cards, then discard two cards, unless you discard an artifact card. So that's good. Uh, minus, in an artifact deck. Minus two, target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base power and toughness four, four. And then minus six, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. That's uh, a really achievable ultimate. Yep. And it's a it's a very solid planeswalker that's not going to end up in a tracks of planeswalkers because it's very specific to an artifact-based deck. But we'll show up in blue, red, Jeskai, Grixis, artifact-based decks. It would show it like you throw this in a Brea for sure. Um, yeah. And it's going to do a whole bunch of work in the vehicle decks. So it's the kind of card you're going to want to add to the new blue-white vehicles commander. A solid Tezzeret overall, which I suspect the best versions of will be worth pretty solid money down the road, um, but I think you'll get a pretty decent entry point. I think I saw the Japanese alt art on this card look pretty good, um, and I suspect will be popular. Now, the other uh, Planeswalker of the three that we're getting in this set was the Wandering Emperor. So it turns out that the Wanderer that we last saw on in War of the Spark as one of the Planeswalkers that came to help fight Bolas, uh, turns out that she is the actual Emperor of Kamigawa in the present day and has been wandering. Four mana, two of it, two and two white for three loyalty. Flash, so a Flash Planeswalker, right away gets your attention as long as the wandering emperor entered the battlefield this turn you may activate her loyalty loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant plus one put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature it gains first strike until end of turn minus one create a two two white samurai creature token with vigilance minus two exile target tapped creature you gain two life so this is to my eyes a pretty good white planeswalker for standard looks probably too medium for modern uh but looks entirely reasonable in edh and i'm pretty sure i would slide this into a tracks of planeswalkers because this is a pretty good gotcha you just have so much flexibility in the way you use her on defense to set her up to be an enduring presence on the board they're attacking in you flash her in if you have a good creature on the board, you give it a plus one plus one counter and first strike, it blocks and kills the other creature. Sure. If if you don't have a creature, you use the minus one to create a two-two samurai with vigilance. Maybe that's just a jump block, maybe it kills the creature it's blocking. Or you can just minus two her and exile that tapped creature and gain two life. And then untap, presumably especially if that player was just before you in the turn order, untap and then plus one her and just kind of try to get her coasting on the board. It seems more likely to me that this is going to do work in standard than in EDH because there's that it's less impactful against three opponents in EDH than it is against one opponent in standard. 
Um, I suspect the alt art version of this in the with the Japanese alt art is going to be worth money regardless of what this card <laughs> uh, regardless of what this card actually does in any given format. Yeah, I don't know enough about the artist, but looking at some of the early prices, um, uh, the Tarada Katsuya version is going for about half what the Samurai Frame version is, which is by um, Hisashi Momose. So um, I'm going to have to do some research on that, but it, it just looks, um, I mean, it just looks cool. You know, and I agree with you that this uh, probably won't have a lot of EDH chops, but it is going to have a lot of crossover with collectors of uh, this particular artist and this particular style. Just to double back on your comment there, you said the Samurai version was going for more than the Borderless version? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm using Scryfall. Yeah. And it, it's showing me uh, 27 and 56 for the Borderless and 46 and then... There's been one random foil for like $130 on the Samurai Frame version one. Sorry, clarify for me again. Which one is more expensive and foil borderless? I mean, sorry, foil version? Uh, the Samurai one, the 316 printing. Yeah, that jives with what I said in the Discord when this was revealed last week. See, the interesting thing here is the presumed expensive version of Kato Shizuki is the foil borderless because that's the Fist of the North Star artist. Right. The the borderless version for the Wandering Emperor looks good, but the Wandering Emperor alt Japanese alt art for the samurai treatment seemed to trump to me because it looks much more classically anime. And I will not be surprised if it's samurai version of Wandering Emperor, borderless version of Kaito that are worth the most. Um for those two respective cards. Uh, this same artist did um, two of the alternate art. Uh, this did alternate art Sahili and alternate art uh, Vivian for War of the Spark. Did the Chaos Warp. Uh, and that seems to be it for what this artist has done for us. They're, they're apparently a big Duel Masters artist. Yeah, so I think Wandering Emperor uh, is my selection to be to vie with Kato Shizuki in terms of the one-two punch of the chase mythics that don't really matter in terms of their playability. Thing is, <laughs> Kaito is going to go into every Yuriko deck forever. Right. Um, so th there's going to be uh, some serious upside there. And I think that's going to be the number one card, chase card in the set so far. Now, they also showed us Tamyo, Completed Sage, who apparently has been corrupted by Jinja Taxis. Uh, and I don't think this is a big deal card, and I don't think the art on any of the versions of it is going to uh, put it on the same level as the other ones, we, the other Planeswalkers. But it's still a pretty cool card. Two green, hybrid uh, green-blue Phyrexian mana, blue. So you can pay basically two life and four or five mana total. Um, and if you pay the Phyrexian cost, she has two fewer loyalty counters. So if you pay four, she comes in with three. If you pay five, she comes in with five. Um, 
you plus one, tap up to one target artifact or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next up untap step. Minus X, exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. And then minus seven, create Tamiyo's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast, cost two less to cast, and tap, draw a card. This will see some EDH play. I think it strikes me, again, like the Wandering Emperor as being more of a standard card. Um... And I think it's just a typical, good, not amazing Planeswalker that will be largely forgotten over time. Well, keep in mind, um, this has a Phyrexian frame to it. I mean, it has... I'm sorry, there's a version of this with Phyrexian text, but the same frame. The Phyrexian text version is the one that's likely to be Chase. Right. And will be on the same rarity as the... As every other hype card so like we've yeah we we've <clears throat> gone through this i write the article every time with what your exact odds are but your odds uh in a collector booster are going to be the same to get a foil uh phyrexian tamio as with uh a fist of or the north list. star yeah um, kaido sure. or the uh samurai frame wandering emperor any special mythic they'll all have the same drop uh, they'll all be in the same uh, slot, so you'll have the same odds. I just don't know how many of those there are yet, because there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so there are two Chase Phyrexian cards here, because the other one is Jinja Taxis, which we haven't talked about yet. Jinja Taxis Progress Tyrant, 5 and 2 blue, for a 5-5 five, five Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever you cast an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability triggers only once each turn. Yeah, that's going to see some play. Yeah, you can you could say that. This feels, in the, from an EDH perspective, like what was the black uh, praetor? Oh, um, Shieldred. Shieldred. Let's look at Shieldred stats because I have a feeling they're going to be very similar given enough time. So Shieldred is not played much as a commander, but as a card in the 99, 28,000 decks. Shieldred is a 7-mana 6-6 Swamp Walk. At the beginning of your upkeep, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player sacks a creature. This is like comparable power levels, right? I would say so, although Shieldred is just uh, a generically good black creature. This uh, Jingataxis is something you're going to want to like work extra hard to get into play and keep in play uh it really helps that like uh they're gonna need two kill spells to get it because the first one gets countered so um not only are you gonna get stuff for free you're going to it's got that protection built in you know you can't even wrath it away unless you've got two wraths and it resets every turn uh this is gonna get a lot of people really mad and it's a uh, nasty creature it's a nasty creature it's got the the whole phyrexian thing still going on of i get double of something and you get half so i get twice as many artifacts instants and sorceries you get half as many especially because you can if you play it as the commander you can you can build it with a bunch of nasty artifacts that have taxing effects oh james people are just starting to like you man why you gotta why you gotta do this like, like you cast Ninja Taxes and then you cast like Smokestack and you get two Smokestacks. 
great. Or whatever, or whatever That's great. nonsense. That's just what the world needs. But bottom line, the Phyrexian Ginger Taxis is going to be, might be the chase card in North America. Because I think that the Anime Wanderer and Kaito are going to be the chase cards in Japan. The Jinja Taxis is probably the chase, the, well, might be the priciest special mission chase mythic out of the fancy chase mythic out of the set don't look on tcg player what do you think the pre-sales have gone for for the foil phyrexian versions uh 200 they have gone for between 80 and 73 dollars i mean if we look at where that sounds too low it does sound too low that sounds no uh i'm thinking of Vorinclex? Yeah, let's take a look at where Vorinclex is. Oh, no, right wait. Now. I clicked on the wrong card. Hold on a second. I clicked on the Neon Glow version. That might be completely off. Um, we don't have prices on there yet. We might not have any. That's a shame because I really like the glow art. So the the price comparison here is definitely Vorinclex, Monstrous Raider, Phyrexian out of Kaldheim. We just oh, got yeah. it a year ago. It was also a winter set. Um, they got up to about two fifty three hundred or something like that. There's and been then, one pre-sale for $260. And then they retraced pretty hard from there. Yeah. Yeah, I think they... Yeah, so currently the cheapest Vorinclex is about $100. So you don't want to pay more than $100 for the Jinja Taxis. However, in foil, I w- yeah, foil Phyrexian. However, I think Ginger Taxes is a bigger deal card for EDH than Vorinclex was. Vorinclex is mostly going into a Traxa Counters Cares decks, whereas Ginger Taxes is just every blue it's deck. Just, yeah, it's a, it's a busted blue card that lots of players are just going to run, and then some decks will have specific synergies with. Yeah, so keep in mind that the uh, Glow version, the Phyrexian version, uh, they will all show up at equal rates. But they will not show up... uh, Oh, yes. um, Let's see. Looking at the thing, you'll get one Neon Ink Foil, Foil Etched, or Traditional Foil Rare Mythic. I don't know what the Foil Etched is. i got to do more research before I do the math. I've I've got that in front of me. Yeah, it's collector booster exclusive. So I guess we're segueing into the collecting uh, Neon Dynasty article here to just highlight a few points. So foil etching is returning to magic in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. It's a print technique that we apply in a variety of different ways. They say, which means they're doing it. A, this one looks to me like full face etched on. Uh, but it's only on a select few cards. It looks very much like the etched foil commanders from Commander Legends, which are people were lukewarm on. It's only on 12 cards, one rare, four mythic rare foil etched in the soft glow, one rare and two mythic rare foil etched in the ninja frame, one rare and one mythic rare foil etched cards in the samurai frame, and two foil etched mythic rares in the Phyrexian frame. Well, we know which two, two those are. <laughs> that's going to be Tambio and Ninja Taxes. Right. Um, and the the Ninja one uh, includes one rare and two Mythic rares. The Mythics are probably Kaito and the Umazawa Descendant, would be my guess. Right. 
Um, so basically the key cards are going to get the foilette treatment. I, I think those are not going to be the most desirable version. Uh, and you can only get them in the collector booster packs. The um, special version of uh, the foil borderless of Satoru Umezawa, that's, that's not exclusive to buying a box, right? That's... Uh, I, think it, I think it is a buy a box promo with specific art, but the card is in the set. Okay. I get you, and 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 the specific art in question is like super gorgeous. Right. It's the guy who did it's uh, a guy who did a bunch of art for Metal Gear, and it's very very nice. I, I suspect those are going to be worth some solid money down the road. The Satoru Umazawa uh, buy a box promos, very nice. Okay. Nothing else really jumped out at me. The collector boosters look pretty straightforward. Um, no huge surprises. Uh, do note that there's going to be one uh, foil of the uh, the Okoyo lands. That uh, you know, it's another really cool basic land treatment. And don't uh, don't get married to any particular basic land at this point because uh, there's always going to be a new basic land that comes along. Like these are neat, but there's going to be even more neat basics coming along. So don't. Uh, don't go too crazy. You can probably wrap up with just summarizing what you can get in collector boosters versus draft and set since that continues to confuse people. You're going to be able to get the foil etched, extended arts and foil extended arts, and commander card extended arts in the collector boosters. Borderless, samurai frame, ninja frame, and soft glow frame, which are basically the showcases uh, in this case, are all in all of the above draft set and collector booster the neon ink hidetsuku devouring cards are also only in collector boosters except for the yellow variation which is a wpn promo so probably the least least exciting of the bunch um and then the ukiyo e land basic lands are in everything as well uh but only in foil in the collector boosters one per pack as you said yeah so you'll you're going to get one of those lands for every pack. So there's there's a lot to go over. Um, give me a couple of weeks. Go ahead. One more point. One more point. The commander cards that are created in extended art are again still not in foil, which is a weird choice to my mind. Um, that's probably a co- a collation issue, uh, given the slot that they they occupy. But it's it's still weird. I don't know why they don't just upgrade that to being able to get foil or non-foil it's not like Uh, there's that many commander players who are like i hate foils yeah you know what i really don't like shiny things all right so we're most of the way through seeing the set but we still got some some exciting reveals to come i would imagine uh what's your overall take on neon dynasty so far Uh, i'm for it they have a you know one of the the great mechanics in ninjutsu where um, you're just like, well, this creature's getting through. What horrible thing is going to happen to me? Oh, great. All right, that happened. I think that the uh, the cycle of legendary lands is going to be uh, as staple as staples get, considering what they do. You know, like uh, the black ones probably a raised dead. And, you know, you've got bounce, you've got make tokens, you've got the, the naturalize. So, like, you're going to have to have a real reason not to play these in Commander and uh you know for every time you see a free roll uh somebody plays like a 
the the red one that gives a legendary creature first strike. You know, it's really great in Ragavan mirrors. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot, especially of the lands, will be the the enduring staple. And I, I'm really curious to see, like you said, where some of these um, cards go in terms of like they're done by famous artists rather than just the card is good. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so I guess that's it for now. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me uh, online at Word of Commander on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTG Price Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Oh yeah, don't forget the group buys. That's like a big deal as well, I suppose. Well, I, I just, the first rule of, of group buys is don't talk about group buys. You just say like, hey, hey, we got group buys and they're really great. Uh, it makes it sound so illicit. It's much more straightforward than that. You basically just save money on Magic product. but You just save yeah. a bunch of money. It's true. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Do use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. We are done, James, but we are not done making our way through this set. I'm, I'm excited to see what it what they give us in the last week and a half. That caps episode 309, but we will be back next week for with more uh, info on Kamigawa Neon Dynasty and the other slate full slate of products for 2022. Also, a small shout-out to Travis, uh, our long-time-running co-host, uh, had a healthy-looking baby uh, this week mm. and uh, was sh- showing off said child on the internet. So congrats to huge congrats to Travis, and we'll see him back here whenever he gets a chance. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG. That's my thoughts. Mm-hmm.